God, we are so grateful that not only have you given us your word, but you have given us gifted men who are able to teach it to us so that our lives will be transformed by your truth. And we pray that this, uh, this morning would be absolutely no different. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we open our Bibles, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that we would see ourselves in your word and know, God, how you want our lives to be changed by the truth that is being presented to us. I pray that you would fill Dave with your spirit. I pray that he would have total peace as he speaks. I pray that your wisdom would come forth and that the words that we hear will be the words that are inspired by you. And we just uh, thank you and praise you for Dave, for the gifts that you've given him. And we pray that you would now use him to teach us and help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, um, really, if, if you are a female and you can play softball, do because Chuck is committed to this team and this thing happening. And um, if you don't, we're going to come watch, and he's going to be wearing a wig, and Doug's going to be wearing a wig, and, and uh, it might be amusing, but I'm not sure that that would be a good testimony. So um, it's a great way to have fellowship together, to just be able to love each other and use some of the athletic ability or encouraging ability, however that works. I found that the older I get, the more my brain thinks I'm as good as I used to be. And I used to be a lot better than I actually was the older I get. So it's kind of a cool thing. I can tell my kids how good I used to be. My wife doesn't know. really wasn't that good. But. How many of you guys um, like tradition? Is this like traditional stuff? Do you have traditional Christmas things that you do? You know, we love to watch old movies at Christmas. Any of you guys like to watch old movies at Christmas? What are your favorite Christmas movies? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. What else? What? The Christmas Story. Any of you guys watch It's a Wonderful Life? Isn't that a great movie? We love that. We, we watch that movie. We watch the you know, Miracle on 34th Street. We watch The White Ride Christmas. I mean, my wife will just rile them off. Um, we've watched It's a Wonderful Life, man, I think at least 5,000 times, I think at least. And, you know, and so I, I love the, the movie. You know, if you're familiar with the movie, if you're young, um, watch it. It's, it. Back then, they actually had black and white movies. It wasn't color. Um, but it's a great movie. This guy, George Bailey, lives in Bedford Falls. He's got this ambitious life that he has laid out for himself. Um, you know, he wants to be a, an architect and build big buildings and bridges, and he wants to travel the world, and he talks about all this stuff he wants to do with his life. And it never happens. Something happens just about when he's ready to do his next thing that stops him from doing what it is that he thinks he should be doing. And he gets stuck at the Bailey Brothers Building and Loan Association for year after year after year. And he's got this guy, he's got two guys that are, that are, are his challenges. One, one's his ally and one's his enemy. His Uncle Billy is, you know, just that type of guy that if he can do anything wrong, he will. Um, and then he's got, he's got this other guy, this crotchety old Potter character that wants to take over the town and is always trying to take over the building association. And so one Christmas season, it was Christmas Eve day, Uncle Billy, Harry's coming back, his younger brother that 
he was supposed to go to college and went to college instead of him. You've got to watch the movie. I'm not going to tell you the whole movie. Anyways, um, he, he has $8,000 that he's depositing from the building and loan into Potter's bank. He gets the Potter who comes in with a paper and shows him all the headlines and everything like that, takes $8,000, puts it in the paper, and hands it to Potter. Now, Potter's not the most honest guy in the world, so when he gets into his office and he realizes that Billy gave him all of their money, um, he was, like, really happy because now he could finally take over the savings and loan and take over the town and do all kinds of stuff. So in the, in the process, George um, becomes very depressed. I mean, everything that he's, that he's given his life to is, is falling apart. Now he doesn't have any money. There's a warrant out for his arrest. He went to Potter, which he really didn't want to do to see if he could get a loan just to cover it until he can get, figure out what went on. And Potter tells him and calls up and puts a warrant out for his arrest. So that's the whole thing. So he now is, is, is just he gives a short prayer to God, goes and gets himself drunk, and then he's going to jump off a bridge. And this angel gets sent, um, Clarence, Clarence Oddbody, the guardian angel. Everybody needs a Clarence Oddbody for their guardian angel. Comes and saves him. And, and then George says, God, it would be better if I never was born. And he goes, huh, okay, we could work that out. And so this is a, is a little clip of him realizing that what would happen if he never was born. Mother. Mother? What do you want? Mother, this, this is George. I, I thought sure you'd remember me. George who? If you're looking for a room, there's no vacancy. Oh, Mother, please help me. Something terrible's happened to me. I, I don't know what it is. Something's happened to everybody. Please let me come in and, and, and keep me here until I get over it. Get over what? I don't take in strangers unless they're sent here by somebody I know. What? Well, I know everybody you know. What? You, your brother-in-law, Uncle Billy. You know him? Well, sure I do. When did you see him last? Today, over at his house. It's a lie. He's been in the insane asylum ever since he lost his business. And if you ask me, that's where you belong. life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Well, I've heard of things like this. You've got me in some kind of a spell or something. Well, I'm going to get out of it. I'll get out of it. I know how, too. I... Well, the last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. You know where he lives? Well, sure I know where he lives. He lives in Bailey Park. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You are here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Isn't that a great story? I love that movie. You know, 
here's a guy who touched a bunch of lives, who was very impactful, and, and the results of his life were, were tremendous, and he didn't recognize it. He didn't, he didn't see it because it was so daily. It was so every day. It was something that just happened as he went through his daily activities, and it's easy not to see what it is that's happening because we get caught up in the middle of just seeing what we see. You know, the thing about life is, it's, it's, because we're human, it's really hard for us in our human perspective to see God's bigger picture, isn't it? Because we just see, we just see what's happening in front of us. And God is doing stuff that's so much bigger than that, that's eternal. I mean, God sees 10,000 years from now. We don't even know if there is going to be a 10,000 years from now. But to God, that's tomorrow. I mean, that, his perspective is so different from ours. And that, I think the thing I like best about that movie is it really helps illustrate that. And you just get to see, wow, if, if I wasn't here, what kind of hole would be left? And if I'm not here doing what God wants me to do, what kind of hole will be left? And so last Sunday, we talked about this, this epic story that God has, has allowed us to be born into, to realize that what's happening today is not in a vacuum. It's not something that's excluded from everything else. God has a story that he, that he started before creation, and he's carrying out through eternity. And we're in, the, we're in it. So what's happening in our lives isn't something that's, that's, that's happening by accident or that's happening in a vacuum. It's something that's very much a part of what God is doing. The challenge for us is we really don't know what God's doing a lot of times, right? Anybody really know what God's doing? I mean, the more I try to figure that out, the worse it gets. I just, so so the, the challenge for us is can we be where we're at and, and be encouraged and excited and, and have hope that we know that what God's doing is good, and that what God's doing is eternal, and somehow I'm a part of that. And so this morning, I want to really make that practical. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Let's turn together to Acts 3, and we're going to talk about the epic story being lived out. And so in Acts 3, we're going to start with uh, verse 1. We're actually going to go through Acts 3 and 4. So I'll try to paraphrase stuff as much as I can so that um, we can get through it. The good news about being the 11 o'clock service, if we get out of here at 2, it's really no big deal. <laughs> so, you know, we'll just call out for pizza and we'll be good. And if I do that, maybe Doug won't ask me to do this again. See, that's a motive. Okay, Acts 3, here we go. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple in the middle I mean, going to the temple in the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed their gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. 
With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Isn't that amazing? See, one of the challenges of the epic story and us being a part of the epic story is that the story is lived out in our daily lives. Isn't it? I mean, Peter and John are going to church. That's all they're doing. They're just going to church. And here's this person that's been born lame. How easy is it, especially if somebody's been there day after day after day, to continue to walk past? Now, I'm not sure what prompted them to look at him. I'm not sure what prompted them to do what they did. Somehow, God, through the Holy Spirit, um, told Peter and John to stop and, and do this. And they did. But it was part of their everyday life. It was part of what they did on a daily basis. And God had them stop. And this is the thing for us to kind of get our arms around, is that, that sometimes we think, well, if God is going to use me, it's got to be something that's really spectacular. But, but sometimes it's not. I mean, in this case, it was because something pretty amazing happened. But how many of us have people that are hurting in our lives? People that we work with that are hurting. People that we see that are in our neighborhoods that are hurting. People that um, are, you know, we pass on the street. Some people that we see at the store. I mean, there's people, aren't there, who are just hurting people. And sometimes being able to stop when, we've, when we run into somebody or meet somebody that's hurting and do something that, that, that loves them and that reaches out to them and that communicates Christ's love could have an unbelievable impact. And sometimes, sometimes those hurting people are, are hurting because things are going on and, it, and it's lived out in ways that, that cause them, I mean, we call that, you know, being lame. I mean, why'd you do that? That was lame. I mean, how many people do you know that are just lame? I mean, they just do stupid things. They say stupid things. Are those people that don't need somebody to love them, somebody to reach out to them, somebody to care for them, somebody to make a difference in their lives? See, here's the thing that's exciting about this. As Peter and John stopped and looked at them, and what did they say to them? You know, he gave them their attention, expecting money, and Peter says, well, I don't have any money. Well, what good are you? But what I do have, I'll give to you. And I think so often, as God's people, we worry more about what we don't have than to let God use what we do have. Isn't, isn't that true? And we limit what God could do because, well, we, we, don't, we can't do that. We don't have that. I don't have any money. So what can I do? But, but God has given you gifts. And so he wants to use those gifts. And he's going to put you in situations where you get to use what he's given you to impact the life of somebody. Could be somebody hurting in, in your neighborhood or your apartment complex. It could be somebody hurting where you're working. But God will give you the ability to make a difference in that person's life. See, some of us think, well, you know, I just, I don't have the same mobility I used to have. I, I'm not able to get out. So I don't really see my neighbors all that much. But you know, we are in a spiritual battle, and boy, we need prayer warriors, don't we? And one of the most powerful things that can happen is for people to just come to the throne and pray for Doug and pray for people that are in ministry and pray for neighbors and, and, and fight that spiritual battle. 
There's so much that we can do with God, with the stuff that God's given us that can make a huge difference in his kingdom. You say, well, I don't have seminary education. I don't, I'm not a, you know, I don't have all that background. I don't know all that stuff. Well, we all have the word of God. And we all can, can grow in our relationship with God spiritually as we study God's word and as we really understand what God is doing in our, in our life and the ways that he's leading us. So I tell you, it's exciting to think about going, boy, what has God got for me today? Because today is the day that God's going to use. And you never have another today. You never have another chance today to do what God wants to do today. And the impact was unbelievable, wasn't it? They stopped, they looked and said, well, we don't have this, but God's given us this. And they lift the guy up. They heal, the, the guy gets healed by the power of, of the Spirit. That's amazing. And we'll see the impact of that because they're willing to do that. But the thing that's, that's key for us is to understand that that happened in their daily activity. We can't miss what God has for us as we go through our daily activity. So often we just want something big to happen at some big event. But most of what God does happens in our daily activity when we're, when we're living our lives with our family, with our spouses, with our children, with fellow employees, with neighbors, with people. The other thing about this epic story that we're in the middle of that I want us to uh, notice is that, that a lot of times the story just doesn't make sense, does it? It just doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem fair. So when you look at it from the perspective of the, of the lame man, I mean, think about this guy. It says that, that this guy was born lame. His whole life is somebody has to pick him up and take him wherever he goes. And so his career, okay, this is his career. So and if you, any, any of you guys want to take this class, the career is you're going to get picked up. You're going to be carried to the opening of some place where there's traffic. You're going to be set down there, and you get to beg for the day until somebody comes and picks you up and brings you back home again. Now, I don't know about you, but I played basketball in high school, and my mom used to pick me up after practice, and sometimes she would forget. Could you imagine this poor guy laying here begging, and they forget to come get him? <laughs> like 11, 12 o'clock, hello. That's his, that's his life. Now, does that make sense? Does that, would that make sense to you if you were him? Well, this is fair, God. Now, this is, I really am excited about this. And he wakes up every morning and says, oh, good. Somebody gets to pick me up and take me to the temple gate so I can beg. Doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't seem fair, does it? But you know, to us, you know, a thousand years is like a day to God, and to God a day is a thousand years to us. And so for this guy, for, for, and it says in, in, in chapter 4 that it, he was over 40 years old, so for over 40 years, this was his life. But we see that what happened is that, that, that Peter reached down, grabbed his hand, he jumped up, and he goes into the temple, leaping and jumping and praising God. And then let's pick this up and see um, what the result was. Because it says in verse 10 that, that the people, in verse 9, it says, the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11 says, When he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. 
When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power of piety we made this man walk? Then he goes and says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and you killed. And then he preaches a sermon. Then he talks and does a Bible study again. What did we talk about last Sunday? Jesus goes, oh, you guys, you don't get it. And he gives them a Bible study. Peter says, listen, why are you guys so amazed? It was Jesus who you guys crucified. Remember last Sunday when the guys are walking on the road and they say, Jesus, what, don't, don't you know what's going on? The, the guy that was going to be the Messiah, it says our chief priest delivered him up to be crucified. You know, you don't see too many places where they blame the Romans for this thing. It's, it's, it's the, the, the chief priest. And so Peter does a Bible study, and he, and he explains how Christ's death and resurrection was the power that caused this to happen. So here is this guy now who was the testimony that, that it says later on that 5,000 men met the Lord as a result of Peter's message. And what attracted those guys to Peter was somebody who for 40 years lived a life that didn't make sense, that wasn't fair, that, that they had no idea why God was putting them through this, and yet at the, at the, at the right point in time, God used that to create the pretty big church growth process. I don't know why God does what God does. I, I, I stop trying to figure it out, but I do know that God is good and God... Is, is faithful, and whatever is going on in your life today and whatever is going on in my life today is not something that God is sitting up there going, oh, man, I never saw that coming. You know, let me think about this for a few minutes. I think we could figure out a way to get around this thing. But that's just, that's not part of what our life's all about. God is so faithful, and if we can understand that, then whatever is going on in our life, we can trust him, and we can come to him, and we can allow him to do unbelievable stuff in us. The testimony of that man was something that exploded a ministry in Jerusalem. And I don't know what happened the rest of his life. That's just one day. So who knows what impact he had the rest of his life as he was able to testify at how great God is and the, the great things that God has done in his life and the transforming work that God did in his life. And that's our testimony, isn't it? That's how all things work together for good. I just love that message that Doug gave because... The good that God is doing is a transforming work that's conforming us into his image. And all of us at some point, in some way, we're pretty lame. But God continues to do that renewing work in us and allows us to be a testimony that impacts eternity. What a privilege that is. What an amazing thing God allows us to be a part of. And then as we move into chapter 4, we see that in, in, the, in the epic story, there's a villain. It says in chapter 4, starting at verse 1, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. And then verse 4 gets thrown in there. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Unbelievable. Then on the next day, so 5,000 people meet the Lord. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, 
and all who were of high priestly descent. I mean, these were the heavies, the who's who in the spiritual realm. When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by whose name this man stands here before you in good health. And then he goes on to talk to him about he's the cornerstone that was rejected, same thing Jesus said. So he, he, he addresses an issue. But here's the thing. Is, is a, a, God did an amazing thing. And right after this amazing thing happens, Peter and John are in jail. Now, I don't know how you would feel, but if I just did something that was, that was pretty unbelievable and the next minute I'm in jail, I mean, that happens all over the world. We're pretty spoiled here. I mean, it would be hard to understand what God's doing. And the other piece that I want to know is, I want you to understand is we are in a, a war, right? We know that. Jesus says the thief comes to kill, to kill, to steal, and destroy. There's only one purpose of what, what Satan and demons and powers and principalities want to do. They want to destroy you. That's their whole purpose. That's all they want to do is to bring destruction. So why would we be surprised if we get shot at? Why would we be surprised if we find ourselves in a battle zone? The sad part of this story is that, that these are people that should know better. These are people who should understand Scripture. These are people who know what the prophets teach. But for many of us, because we have our own agendas, we have our own lives that we want to live, we have our own priorities, we have you know, our own power that we want to retain, we, want, we have our own want, wanting to control that so often what God is telling us and what God is doing, we totally miss. And we can look at these guys and go, man, what a bunch of idiots. And, and I think sometimes if we looked at ourselves and said, wow, how many times am I getting in the way of what God wants to do? How many times am I hindering something that God is trying to do because I have my own agenda? I have my own way of doing things. I have my own desires and goals and my own selfish uh, intentions. And I'll tell you, it's tough being in a war, and it's a tough being shot at, and it's tough taking hits from the enemy. But in my experience, some of the most painful injuries that, that Christians have received have been from friendly fire, from, from, their, from their, their team, you know, stabbing them in the back. And praise the Lord that, that we have a, a fellowship here where people love, to, love each other and we serve each other and the leadership is modeling um, a servant's attitude and uh, that just carries out into the fellowship. But I tell you, the enemy wants to attack the unity of this body. And it's one of the things we just constantly have to come to the Lord humbly and say, God, cause me to be a servant that comes alongside and is a part of what you're doing in this not a hindrance to what you're doing in this. Because the enemy wants to cause havoc in the midst. And if he can cause Christians not to behave like Christians, then the rest of the world is seeing something that um, is not going to be a reflection of who God is. And it's not going to be very attractive. So the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
um, are coming and they're, they're, they're trying to, to stop what the disciples are doing. And as we get into to, um, to Acts 4, I want to point out a couple things that are really important for us to understand because this is the key thing of being, um, you know, in, in war. You can choose who you want to be because the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were people that wanted to stop it. And if we pick it up at verse 13, you know, it, it, the, Peter had just, just finished talking to them. And it says in verse 13 that they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confirm with one another and saying, well, what do we do with these guys? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not be spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And um, Peter said, and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than, um, to, rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And they threatened him further and let him go. So look at this. Peter and John are untrained, uneducated men. Do you ever feel untrained and uneducated? Amen. You know, you go to work, you go, I just don't have the training. I just don't have the education. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? You know, I can't do this. But what did they also recognize? They're untrained and they're uneducated and they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And because they were with Jesus for three years, they were able to absorb all that Jesus was. Not, not only what he taught them, but who he was as a person. And they, they were able to become who Jesus was, and they were able to, to, to absorb his teaching and absorb, absorb his heart and be a part of what he's all about. I mean, that's huge for us. Because if we're going to be who Jesus wants us to be when we're out there with people who are lame and with people who are hurting and when people are challenging us, we must be with Jesus. We must walk with Jesus. That's something that we have to do on a daily basis. Wouldn't that have been horrible if all 5,000 people came and he had just healed this guy and they go, what the heck's going on? And he's going, oh man, I sure wish I would have listened a little bit more when, you know, when I was with Jesus. You know, I wish I would have hung out with that guy a little bit more. You know, I was just too busy, you know, out, you know, throwing rocks in the lake and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was that walking with Christ that equipped him, equipped him and John to be who they needed to be in that situation. Or you can be the Pharisees who try to discount it. Well, yeah, we know that he healed that guy, and we know we can't really refute it. I mean, what do we do? I mean, it's obvious that something happened. So we'll just have to tell them, well, just don't do that anymore. And I tell you, there's, there's choices we have to make on a daily basis. We can either be a part of what God's doing, or we can try to be a stumbling block of what God's doing. And I tell you, it's a great thing to be able to come to God and be a part of what God is doing. As untrained men, we can come and we can participate in God's plan because we can walk with Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will fill us. 
Because it says over and over through here that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're in a war, but we're already, we've already won the war. We're already victorious. And then the last part that I just want to share that I think is just, is just awesome. As we finish up this chapter and we get from 23 through 31, it says that they were released and they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And it said in verse 24, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God in one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, and then they quote what David said. And they go on in verse 29, it says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The thing that's encouraging about the epic story is God is the author, he's the producer, he's the director, and he's the star of the story. I mean, there's nothing that's happening in the story that God doesn't know about. He wrote it. He produced it. He's directing it. Today, he's directing what's going on. And he's the star. Because whatever happens in your life is going to happen because you get filled with the Holy Spirit and God does it. Isn't that encouraging? I don't know about you, but if I think I have to do that, I'm done because I can't do it. But if I know that God is going to put me in a situation and he's going to fill me with the Spirit and he's going to empower me to do what he wants me to do, I mean, that's a little more comforting to me. Amen? And so these, the, the, the companions, when they come, they rejoice scripturally based on, on what Scripture tells them about how God is in control. And basically, those last several verses are really them praying um, thankfully, that God is doing what Scripture has said God was going to do. And God will continue to do what Scripture says God is going to do. And the thing I've realized as I've gotten older, that prophecy makes a lot more sense after it's fulfilled than before it happened. Amen? I mean, we know He's coming, you know, and everybody's counted down the days. It was 1984, I think, that Jesus was supposed to come back again, and tribulation was supposed to happen, and we missed that date, and I, you know, I think there's been a few more dates that we're supposed to figure it out. The reality is, is that we won't really understand end times until end times. And we really didn't understand Jesus really fully until Jesus came and everything happened. And we go, oh, wow, Isaiah makes sense. Because now it makes sense. And that's the exciting thing about Scripture. It makes sense when God does what God does. And we go, oh, okay, that makes sense. So how do we make sense of it, though? How do we really become people who make sense of what God's doing? Because there's ways to kind of be led by the, by the Spirit. I mean, sometimes doors open and doors close. And we go, okay, well, this door opened, this door closed. Maybe I'm supposed to go through this door. Um, you know, we can ask counsel. There's godly people. I talk to Doug all the time, you know, and get really godly counsel um, and, and try to get direction. There's others of you in the congregation that, you know, it's great to talk to and get feedback and stuff like that. Um, you can, you know, you're, sometimes our spirit just gets prompted. And we just feel like God's leading us in a direction and, and he's leading us in, in, in the direction he wants to go. Praise God that this church has some really good preaching, amen? I mean, well, maybe not this morning, but most of the time, we have, we have really good preaching. And Doug comes and he brings the word and we're fed the word of God and we're able to take what he feeds us and, and it helps us kind of figure out what we're doing. All of that stuff has to be filtered through what God really has given us, his word. 
And this, this should be the thing that is the most important thing that we, that we hunger for every single day. Because I can have doors open and doors closed, and it may not be what God wants me to do. It may not be what, what Scripture says. It may be something that's, that's just not biblical, that a door opens for me to do it, and it just isn't a biblical thing to do. It could be I get counsel. I may talk to Chuck. That might be a mistake. He may tell me to do something that maybe I shouldn't do, you know? But if, if, I, if I filter through Scripture, I'll know. My heart could be telling me something. I feel really strongly about it but, it, but it's not what God's Word says for me to do. So we have Scripture that will allow us to be in this story that God has put us in that gives us some really good, specific details that help us understand the principles that God has laid out for us. Now, is he going to tell you when you go to work, you should probably take the 210 freeway instead of the 605? Probably not. But he can talk to us about how do I become a better husband? How do I become a better father? How do I become a better employee? How do I become somebody that's more impactful? How do I be, how do I be a little more loving person? How do I become a part of this body in a way that's impactful? I mean, there's a lot of things that Scripture teaches us that we get to take in as we walk with Christ that allows us to be impactful. How do I love that person that's lame and hurting and have an impact on their life that may create a testimony that impacts eternity? See, we have spiritual food that God's given us. And I tell you, this is the most important thing because this is the area that in the spiritual warfare, the enemy will attack the hardest. Because if he can create weak Christians, then he's winning the war. He's going to lose it. He's winning the battle. We're losing the war. And so I can't, you know, think about this. Just, just stop eating. You know, horrifies you. It's risky, but stop eating, you know. And just stop, you know. When you get home after church, you go, I'm not hungry. I don't want, I don't want lunch tonight. I don't want dinner. Next morning, nah, I'm not hungry. And do that for like, oh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten months. You know, so I'm just not hungry. No, I don't want food. I mean, if you could do it for seven or eight weeks, probably you'll understand it. But how, how, would, you, how would your body respond if you didn't feed it? How effective would you be in whatever you're doing if you don't feed your body? We would be anemic, useless, a waste. We couldn't do anything. And yet spiritually, how often do we starve our spirit by not feeding our spirit? by not, not, not nourishing ourselves spiritually, not walking with Jesus and not allowing Jesus to, to make a difference in our lives. And I know that we all have schedules and we all have things going on and we're all busy and we just don't have time for that stuff. But, but we can't not have time for it. So there's things that, that, that we can do. I mean, today especially. I mean, every, all of us have Bibles. You can download them on your phone. You can download them on your iPad. There's... There's reading programs that now you can download, Bible apps. There's devotional books that we can get. There's commentaries that you can get on the whole Bible that you can start reading stuff that you don't understand. And I, you guys can call Doug. I call him all the time. I mean, I think everybody in the congregation should call him at least once a day with a Bible question. See if we can stump Doug. But I mean, we have those resources. You can even download the Bible on your phone, audio, and you can listen to it in the car, hands-free. Okay, so I mean, there's, there, there's so many ways that we can take God's word into us and be transformed by the work that God's doing in our lives. I, and, and that's where we get the strength to win the battles. That's where we get the strength 
to come up to this lame person and make a difference in their lives. It's that spiritual stuff that the Holy Spirit does in us that prompts us at that point to be used of God. It's not us. It's not us. If anybody would ask, we go, well, don't look at me. It's Jesus. Praise the Lord. So I really encourage you, man. We are in an epic story. We are in an epic story. This isn't, this isn't something that's happening in a vacuum. It's not happening in isolation. You are a part of what God's doing. You are a part of something that's much bigger than you could imagine. You're a part of something that you're going to look back, I don't know how many years, how many thousands of years that it impacts, I don't know. But you're going to be in, in glory going, wow, I never thought that what I did then was going to have this impact way down here. Never even occurred to me. I just hope you don't go, man, I wish I would have done that there instead of that person because then that would have happened and God wouldn't have had to do this, this, and this to work around what I didn't do. We get that privilege. It's awesome, man. This is, every day should be so exciting for us. We should just, we just get up going, man, God, what is it today? What eternal thing is going to happen today that you're going to be able to use me in that I get to be a part of? What a privilege. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And thanks that you give us a chance to be a part of the story. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit empowers us. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do or what we have the ability to do, but it's about who you are as God and your power and your plan. So equip us, fill us, and use us, Father, that we may be tools in your hand, that we may be a part of growing your kingdom, furthering your kingdom, and glorifying your name. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.